We should probably do a mic check first, make sure everybody can hear. You guys good? I am the very model of a major individual. Isn't it modern major general? Yes, that's right. Major, major <laughs> you could just be a civilian, though. <laughs> I'm a major individual. <laughs> Is this thing working? It's better than a minor like individual. It. You sound good. We sound good. Joe sounds, good is a relative Joe term. sounds Joe. Joe's there. Yeah. All right. Let's get this party started. And welcome to another episode of Embassy Exclusive. This is a monthly supplemental show for fans of the VG Embassy Game Music Podcast. I'm Ed. I'm Joe. And I'm Todd. And each month we get together and share video game music, the latest news in gaming, and our publicly traded opinions on both. This is episode 42 for February 2023. We hope you all enjoy it. Wait, publicly traded? Publicly traded. Did, did I miss the IPO? We're public now. We've gone public. How many shares did I get as um, part of this? One share for every episode. They're, shit, they're, shit, they're, they're penny stocks, though, so you oh, basically oh, have 42 cents. Great. As long as we didn't get involved I mean, with any of that insider trading. <laughs> 42 is a very specific number. It's the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. And everything. It is the yeah. meaning of everything. So it's, it's a good luck. Um, so we'll have to you know, see how it does on the Dow Index. Anyways, uh, so everybody, welcome to Embassy Exclusive. If you're new to it, it gets better than that, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> mildly, mildly. Yeah. Um, as you might have noticed, it's a very free-flowing, fun show uh, focused around discussion about the gaming industry and current topics and just general fun questions about nostalgia, gaming, everything in between. Uh, previously, up until now, it was a Patreon-exclusive show, uh, but due to some p changes I've made in the Patreon structure, uh, it's now for everybody to enjoy. And I, I kind of wanted to do that for a long time because I really like this show. People that listen to it really enjoy it. Um, I feel like it deserves more ears than the dozen or so patrons um, that are uh, graciously providing some, some fundage to the VG Embassy. So um, patrons will still have some exclusivity and some stuff that other patron or other listeners can't get. Um, but we'll talk about that as we go throughout the show and, and in the future. But for now, um, we're just hanging out. Are you and fully licensed and bonded, Mr. Plow? I have. <laughs> That's my name. It's Mr. Ed. Um, yeah, so we've got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about this episode. Um, Embassy Exclusive was originally started because Joe and Todd and I used to just have great gaming conversations at parties and stuff. And I said, hey, this might be really cool if we did it like monkeys in front of a microphone so and that's how it started and we're really fun at parties yeah plus you know all the poo flinging that's the best part that, that comes later after all the drinks um anyways we've got some great stuff going on at the beginning of each show we kind of catch up with each other because it's a monthly show talk about what games we've been playing anything cool going on in our lives so let's start off with that todd any any good stuff going on this month um, for gaming, I'm actually playing uh, the original Wizardry on the NES. Oh, yeah, you told me about that on Discord. Which, um, which that in itself is not remarkable. You know that I'm a dungeon crawler fan. Um, uh, but my favorite part of this is that after start beginning the game, I learned that the NES version of the game has a really nasty bug in it that is apparently well known, where it, which is 
when you're fighting some kind of monster, when you are when your party is attacked, the game doesn't take your armor class into consideration when it's determining whether or not you get hit. Oh. So it's basically like you're naked for the entire game. Holy no matter cow. what armor you're actually wearing. Yeah. Or what your armor class actually is, or what spells you're using to enhance that or anything. Um So a little you know, upset about that. I was discussing it on another Discord that I'm on, and um, what we came up with was that we could use the 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 fix is actually like a one byte change in the game code. Most of them are, yeah. Um, it's just you know just like something that the developers missed somehow, and we figured out that we could use the game genie to fix that one byte Flip change. That bit. Yep. So we used a Game Genie code generator, which is a thing that apparently exists, and told the generator what byte we needed to change and into what, and it spit out a code. So I'm using a Game Genie to play Wizardry, not to cheat, but to actually play the game <laughs> to, in the normal to way. To play as intended. <laughs> That's kind of That's awesome. Cool. I didn't realize that. And it's probably my that. favorite part about how I'm playing this right now. How does it affect the difficulty? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it makes it obviously easier, but significantly easier? Um, well, I, d I didn't make it so far into the game where I had really noticed that much yet, mm -hmm. um, uh, so I can't really say. But certainly in later levels, um, the, the way that armor class works in Wizardry is not how much damage is like reduced when you get hit it's whether or not you're hit so the lower the armor class oh. the less likely you are to actually be hit i see but if you're hit it's for whatever damage that that hit would normally okay would normally deal okay um so certainly as you get into later levels you want to get hit as little as possible so so not having any armor basically would be a pretty nasty detriment to the game yeah that's cool. It's a, it's an interesting way to do armor. It's like they're either hitting the armor or like piercing the skin, like going through the armor. Right. Very very neat. I've um similarly to that, there's a, a hacker. He's got a Patreon. He's called uh, Kandu or Kandu Wantu, and he's been doing fast ROM patches for a lot of the older SNES games. Um, because a lot of these games, so NES games can either use a, a feature called slow ROM or fast ROM, and it's all about how the memory is managed. Most uh, original games used the slow ROM method, um, which was fine, like Super Mario World and all that stuff. <clears throat> when the fast ROM technology came out, or they, you know, they figured out a way to switch the bank to make it faster, a lot of these games um, can easily be flipped over to fast ROM, and a lot of the slowdown just goes away entirely. Some of the games were meant to use fast ROM, but just like um, you were saying with Wizardry, a byte got flipped. Like, the fast ROM will turn on, and then another byte will just turn it right off again. So he's been doing a lot of these hacks where they're really easy to do. Someone will just recommend, hey, this is a game that has a little bit of slowdown, and he'll take a look at the ROM and say, oh, yeah, I can totally fix this, and then put out a quick IPS patch that patches it to fast ROM. And then suddenly you've got a game that performs way better than the original one. So I've been playing a lot of that. Rock and Roll Racing had a patch for it, which I love, especially... Oh, cool. So that runs the right way now? Yeah, I got into it because of, obviously, Tim Fallon's soundtrack, but the game itself, it's still not 60 frames per second, but it's a hell of a lot smoother than it used to be. Nice. I have to um, try that. It's a lot of fun to play. <clears throat> um, but, like, Super Ghouls and Ghosts and just tons and tons of... I have the, all the Mega Man X games have fast ROM patches now, so no slowdown in any of those anymore. Um... It's been cool. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun to kind of experience that stuff. So I've been getting into that. Um, there's a new C64 game out called A Pig's Tale, 
which I saw some previews of, and it looks absolutely amazing. It's kind of like uh, the old Dizzy games, where it's like a Metroidvania adventure kind of a game, but built for the C64. Really good graphics and sound. Um, it was like 10 bucks on itch.io, and I was just so enamored with it that I ended up buying it, and I've been playing it on the Mister, um, which is great, because it's 60 hertz compatible, so I can play on the CRT, so now I'm playing on a, a C64 games on CRTs look great, so I've been nice. getting into that, um, and uh, it's it's difficult, but I'm actually playing a hard game, which is weird, and, and getting really into it. So that's pretty much been my month, as long as as well as the other obvious SnowRunner and Vampire Survivor stuff that is always there. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that, listeners, like Ed likes SnowRunner. Yeah, exactly. That's the baseline, <laughs> and whatever else was on top of that. That's the icing. Have you ever gotten to a point? You know how we talked about in the past. If you play one game for too long, you start to take it into your real life a little bit. Have you had that happen with SnowRunner or Vampire Survivors, or both at the same time? Well, we haven't had any snow, so... Yeah, no, not Vampire... It's funny, because there's a lot of people on the Vampire Survivors subreddit that say they see blue gems everywhere they look. That's they, what I mean. Yeah, Nonsense like that. That's never happened to me. It's weird. SnowRunner, yes, because I'll see, like, an off-road, like, <laughs> a track through a forest or something on the side of the road, and I'll be like, I totally drive that. That's all, that looks fun, and realizing <laughs> I'm in, a like, a, you know, close-to-the-ground Mazda 3, and it's not gonna make it. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not gonna work. <laughs> What am I doing? Hopefully yeah. no one saw that. But I have taken a much bigger interest in trucks like that. And there's a, there's actually a subreddit off of the SnowRunner subreddit <laughs> called sub, called SnowRunner IRL, which is all about, you know, the yeah. trucks that SnowRunner is based on, but doing, um, you know, business stuff in real life. And I've been really fascinated with how similar they they act between the game and, the, and real life. So Edge working on a CDL. <laughs> I know. We always keep saying that, but... I don't think I could ever do the on-road trucker thing. I just have to do it from the comfort of my own basement. We're going to come down here one day, and this entire basement's going to be renovated to look like a box truck. Oh, man. I've gotten really, really into folks that have, like, sim racing rigs with, like, six screens surrounding them and a full dashboard. Like, that's my pipe dream. If I ever won the lottery, I would build a new room on the house and and, and get one of those things, because those are incredible. But for now, I've got my racing stand, and I'll, I'll deal with that. Um, Ed, Ed wins the billion dollar lottery and spends it all on a, on a snow runner <laughs> set up in his basement. <laughs> Half a billion dollars. I just build a truck cab into the bottom of the house. <laughs> you know, you could just buy a truck and go to Alaska, right? <laughs> <laughs> but then I don't have my food and whatever else is here. I don't even know. I think yeah. they have food in Alaska. I wouldn't need to work anymore. Plus it's just cold. Gonna, yeah, that's it. Plus it's too cold. Anyway, Joe, what's up with you? Any any new stuff going on? Yeah, I uh, so I moved on from my turn in Noctis. I couldn't do it. I gave up. It just I wasn't having fun trying, and it I just said enough's enough. We watched that video last time, and it's just, yeah, I'm just not good enough. Damn it! But um, I decided to play River City Girls Two, which is a tremendous beat 'em up. If you're into beat 'em ups at all, you have to play this one. Period. End of story. It's awesome. Uh, whether you like the River City series or not, it yeah. keeps that spirit, that sense of humor. Uh, and it plays like a really, really good Super Nintendo game. It's yeah. awesome. And the, uh, the soundtrack is great, too. And Ma- the soundtrack's Megan amazing. McDuffie came back and knocked it out of the park. So. Yeah. I, I think I told you guys that I, I squealed a little bit when I got to the first boss and realized it was a techno version of the original River City Ransom boss theme. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just have a soft spot for that game. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, both of you guys are big River City Ransom fans. Yeah. Yeah, um, I can't wait to play this. So then I, uh, then I decided to play a game with... Sarah, we started playing Mario 3D World, which I had never played before on hmm. Wii U or on Switch. Um, so I played that one through, and it, it's a Mario game. It's exactly what you expect if you haven't played it. Um, there's, It's always very well done. It's fun. It's not too difficult. And, you know, I can play it with my kid. 
So uh, we finished that one. And uh, now I've moved on to the opposite of a game I can play with my kid. I'm playing uh, Carry On. Oh, yeah. The uh, Metroidvania <laughs> where you're the monster. And I'm having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, I featured that on an indie show a while back. That's a that's a cool game. Yeah. I uh, want to pick up a copy of that physical if I can find it somewhere. I think Limited Run might have done yep. it. Or, yeah. So I might try to pick one of those up if I can. But uh, it's a great game. I'm guessing I'll play that. I can't imagine there's going to be more than, what, like 10, 12 hours worth of content in it. Because it... I'm only two or three hours in, and it's already kind of repetitive. But you get a couple new abilities, and it makes it fun. And, like, ripping apart humans, uh, you know, with the monster. It's a novelty, but uh, I'll, I'll see what I want to move yeah. on to next. It's fun. It's like a reverse Metroidvania. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm psyched for Octopath 2 coming out in a couple weeks. Uh, that's Or even sooner than that, right? It's the end of this month, I think. I don't right? remember the exact release date, but yeah. It's, it's coming out later this month. So I'm excited about that one. Um, so I'm guessing Carry On will take me right into Octopath 2. Uh, that's what I've been busy with. Nice. Looking forward to what you guys have to say about that. Because I'm not going to play it. Oh, I hope it's good. I, the first one, I had such high hopes for. It ended up being good, but not great. Um, well, maybe Square put a little bit more resources into it this time around. since, they, Or at least, like, you know, took, took feedback yeah, and right. uh, adjusted. Uh, I mean, you know the, you know the music's going to be good. You know the gameplay's going to be good. I just hope the story is what I expect. And I hope it's not, like... I don't know. I hope there's something different from the from the first one, but also keeping the I'll say enjoyment from the first one. Right, and not going like the triangle strategy direct direction where it's all story and no gameplay. Yeah, that one. It just that was another one. I had such high hopes for it, and it just wasn't what I wanted it to be. So Square's let me down a little bit lately, but hopefully this uh, this game will be good. So uh, next month I'll uh, be sure to tell you guys. Sweet, looking forward to it. All right, so guys, want to get into our topics? Let's do it. All Let's right, it. so we'll start off with. Todd's. Um, so, for those of you new to the show, generally we we break the segments up with a uh, a VGM track that has maybe well not generally not in Todd's case, but usually we try to pick some music that has something to do with the topic that we're we're talking about. I don't, I don't know if yours does or not, Todd, but um, we'll start off with some music and then we'll get into um, Todd's topic and some responses from some folks from Discord that we asked the question to as well. So what do we got first? It doesn't. I just pick tracks that I like. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, my track for today is called Judgment, and this is from the game Hell is Other Demons, which was released recently on Switch, PC, Mac, and Linux. Composer is Remy Gallego, also known as The Algorithm. Neat. I'm going to start t- taking away stock shares for every time you put a non-related song. You can take your penny stock back. I don't <laughs> or you mispronounce uh, composer's name. Well, yeah, I do that a lot too. <laughs> Fair warning. We all do that. That's that's. There's a lot of weird composer or not, you know, foreign composer names that we have trouble pronouncing. Anyways, uh, so let's listen to Judgment from Hello's Other Demons. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. That was Judgment from the game Hell is Other Demons, released on Switch, PC, Mac, and Linux. I did not note before that it was released in 2019. Thank you, Ed. From composer Remy Gallego, also known as The Algorithm. What a track. Yeah. Wow, yeah. That was awesome. <clears throat> really heavy synthwave stuff. Um, I've never heard of The Algorithm, so I'll have to look. I guess... He's got a band camp okay. under that name. Cool. I'll definitely check it out, because that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, really good. The entire soundtrack is good, so if you like that, check out the rest of it. Yeah. So it's like a pixel art, side-scrolling action game. Art kind of reminds me of Downwell a bit. Looks like it would run great on Steam Deck, too, so... Probably anything. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't look like it's too intense, like... Yeah, your standard like pixel art indie game, yeah. so... Yeah, I'm going to check this one out for sure. Um, cool. Awesome. So what was your totally unrelated topic? Yeah, but as, as Ed pointed out, my uh, track has nothing to do with my topic. Um, my topic is uh, that I'm interested in a discussion on the current state of affairs with retro and other game collecting. Um, uh, listeners should probably know that Joe and I fancy ourselves to be collectors, although these days it's getting harder to do so, um, oh, given really? the insane costs uh, for retro gaming and and other retro memorabilia. Yeah. So uh, just for related. context, you're mainly in, not mainly interested, but you are working towards as full of an NES collection as you can get, right? I was, and I've kind of given up, largely given up on that, <laughs> just because it's it's impossible to find, and when you can and find find it, it's insanely right, expensive. Right, 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 right. How many did, would you say you have at this point, though? I think a little more than half the collection. I don't remember the exact number. Right. A little more than half the end, the North American Library. All right. So about 150 or so ish. No, no, it's no, like, no, it's like the North American Library is like six hundred. No, no, it's like six fifty. Oh, I thought it was like three fifty something. something. Like I must be thinking of a different. Maybe, maybe that's a Super Nintendo collection. N sixty four is three hundred and ninety six. Okay, or uh, two hundred ninety six. Two ninety six. Maybe that's okay. the number. Maybe that's what I was looking at. Which which you had at one point and then sold off. Right. Yeah. So will this bubble burst or will this only get worse? And and I sort of wanted to ask this. My wife and I over the last couple of days were on a little bit of a road trip. Um, uh, and uh, in our travels, I happened across a retro game store, so I popped in just to see what they have. Mm. And like, prices on valuable games are high. Yes, and we know this. But even prices on like garbage, common sports nonsense games that nobody's really looking for, other than to like complete a collection or something, yeah, are also for what they are very high. Like, I don't think I saw anything under ten dollars in the entire store. And I gotta wonder, who's buying these games at these prices, and how are these places staying in business? Because, you know, it's, right. it's I don't see this being sustainable. Like, I don't, are people really paying these prices for these games? I, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and how much are the stores themselves buying them off of people? Right. And how much of a profit margin are they making on them? Is it, is it's got to be large because they're because their their actual like sales number like individual sales have to be way down. Yeah, I mean, given they, the last couple of years, they've always ever only like paid pennies on the dollar for games. I right. mean, you know, if you give them a a Switch or a PS5 or something today, yeah, you'll get a little bit of money out of it. But even that's going to be pennies on the dollar. But games, forget it. You're not getting anything right. unless you're you know going in there with a copy of Little Samson or something like that. If you get more than like a dollar worth of store credit for most things you turn in, it, forget it. It's you know completely going to profit if they sell it. Yeah. Again, like Todd said, I, I, who's buying garbage commons at you know like GBA games or Atari games or you know like Nintendo DS little kid games? You know the ones that used to sell for like a quarter, fifty cents each are still like eight, nine, ten dollars. 
no one's buying those, are they? Yeah. Well, I think the market seems to favor different systems at different times. Like, I've heard that Sega CD games are going up in value now, but then some other, like, GameCube games are going down in value. And then GBA games are also really hot right now, where they used to be, like, you can get everything for under 25 bucks. So, you know... But I think the bubble on a whole is what you're talking about in, in terms. It was especially with sports games. Like when those go up, you know you're in trouble. You if know you're, you're in trouble. And certainly right now, I do. retro <clears throat> retro games shot up sharply when COVID lockdown happened, and mm. that may have just been like people like saying, "Hey, yeah. I've got nothing but time. I miss I'm going to sell pop onto off. eBay and like get a <laughs> Super Nintendo with some you know crap games or something to yeah. relive what, my youth because I've got nothing better to do. I don't know, uh, but it's. They haven't really come down since then either. So, like, is it even a bubble at this point, or is it just the new norm? I, I, I'm inclined to think the latter. I think it's a plateau. I just think that these are just going to be the prices now. Will they continue to climb at this rate? Probably not, because of, I, I think we're very close to if we're not already at a point where people can't afford it. You know, so I, I mean, people's collections are going to consist of like five games that they really, really like. But that's that's kind of yeah. where I'm at, and I've been turning more towards the likes of like EverDrives and stuff because I like playing on original hardware, but I'm not willing to pay the price for the games. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's going to drive more people towards that stuff too. Like you know, I've got the Mister now, and it it, it gives a like almost indistinguishable uh, experience to playing a game on a you know on a, on a TV or whatever. Um, minus holding the physical cartridge in your hand and putting it in a console, which I've never cared about. So um, I'm. I'm, I'm happy with that in lieu of collecting physical. I was never a big physical collector. Anyway, um, so but so for more people like me, I think, who want that experience of playing on a CRT TV with as little lag as possible, there are options out there now that are coming out for people to do that. Whereas with emulation and stuff, it's like it used to be only on a computer screen. There was definite lag. You couldn't use the original controllers. Now all those... There's solutions to all of that. Right. So more and more people, I think, are jumping off of the physical collection and getting more into emulating the experience of playing an original game as much as possible without actually having the games themselves. And all this old, all this hardware is getting older by the day, as we all are. Yeah, sure. And someday they're all going to stop working. It's it's only a matter of time. Yep. I mean, not every- anytime soon. NESs are still going to be around for a long time. But, but there will day, be a day when yep. none of them work anymore. Every day, bit rot and corrosion will take... <laughs> One or two more cartridges, and it'll For keep sure. happening. Yep, you know, it'll keep happening. All it takes is a couple days in a in a too humid room, and it can start. So. Exactly. So, how much longer do places like Game Exchange and GameStop have before they just don't have any more customers? Well, GameStop has new games, so I mean, I think that's there's always going to be new games, but it's a matter of whether physical games. Yeah, GameStop to be a tends thing. to trade more in newer stuff, yeah, yeah, okay. than retro well, stuff. I don't even think you can really find anything older than what. Maybe PS2 now in GameStop. I'm not no, sure I was how in far there back recently. they go. They only have PS4. They don't even have PS3 anymore. Oh, so yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Um, but then yeah, like you said, like Game Exchange, um, which is a semi-national chain, and then our our local chain, Retro Games Plus, which is mainly Connecticut, and I think they have one Florida store. Um, you know, they got to do all they can to hold on. And they do stuff like, you know, after hours game swap meets and stuff to keep customers interested, to keep them coming in the door. So even when they're not, you know, wanting to go to a swap meet, they still have it on the back of their head. Oh, while I was there at the swap meet, I saw this on the shelf and I wanted to go back and get it. They have to keep people interested, yeah. you know? So I think these, I think 
In my opinion, in order to keep those kind of stores viable, they're going to need to start doing game tournaments at their places, keep people, you know, kind of turn it into more of an experiential location rather than just here's four walls and we sell store. You know, we still uh, sell games on shelves. Or or they'll go the GameStop route and uh, become Hot Topic. (laughs) Oh, like with all the merch and... Yeah. Yeah. I know. You walk into those stores and it's like 80% merch, 20% games at this point. Well, also, stock has got to be hard to come by for a retro store too, right? Like, people's garages are cleaned out, people's attics are cleaned out, people who are collecting have their collections and they're not selling them. Yeah. I mean, I I, I follow, like, the Instagram for... <coughs> excuse me. Follow the Instagram for, like, new um, retro games plus and stuff, and they're always posting pictures of new hauls that have come in and a lot of times they'll they'll if they if they're low on stock they will go buy lots off of eBay and then sell them at a profit in their stores. So there's always That's ways to be do tough it. to do because it's tough to get anything on eBay. Yeah, everything's at or above in most yeah. cases market price. Well, you know, 30, 40 game lots. Well, the games themselves will probably be lower than market value, and you can sell them in no, eBay. only only by just a little. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. there's not there's and, not a lot of room, and there. they're going to be garbage games. Yeah. You know, the more yeah, I talk yeah. about collecting games, the more I'm glad I'm not a collector. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> I think Joe and I have been been like over our discussions for the last couple of years. I think we've been sort of phasing ourselves out of that too. Like, yeah. Like, Joe still does the tag sale thing, and he has some success. I mean, he's, he's definitely, you know, good at this, but uh, it is it's it is not what it used to be. To the extent there's stuff out there to find, I can find some of it, but I don't like the insanely competitive nature that tag sailing has taken on, so I, I don't... I'll say I don't compete for it. I'm not out there at 6 a.m. anymore. But there's a number of times where I'll get to a tag sale, and <laughs> before I even ask... They'll say, no, we don't have any video games. <laughs> this guy looks just, like the type. I guess I just give off that vibe. <laughs> but uh, They probably already told seven people before you. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the sense I get. Is, is You know, when I'll ask, they'll, they'll, they'll say no, and, you know, you wouldn't believe how many people have asked me that. And yep. they've only just opened. Right, right. And yep. it's like the weirdos get there at, you know, 6 a.m., even though the, the thing's not supposed to open till 8 or 9, and they... You know, I'm sure if there are things to be bought, they get bought, and I'm guessing either hoarded or resold on eBay. Yeah, I mean, it's probably there's probably a stereotype. <laughs> White dude in his 30s and 40s comes in without his wife at a tax sale. <laughs> why else would he be there? You know, it's going to be. But that's why my kid's my secret weapon. <laughs> I walk up there with her, totally disowned. That's true. That's true. Look, let's look at the toys. Oh, by the way, since we have toys here, yeah, are there any games? Anyways, uh, we got some responses from some of our patrons. This was the patron question, so Todd, why don't you read what the Diet has to say. Mr. The Diad says, I don't think the prices will change much in either direction for a while, but that's based on no real knowledge on my part. It might be interesting to see what some of the oldest home console games, like ancient Atari stuff, are going for because it might give insight into what that age bracket is willing to pay. The people I expect are doing, uh, the people I expect are doing the collection the collecting it might give an idea as to what the next wave of say nes games will do in terms of prices personally i'm having a hard time deciding if i want to liquidate my collection because one space and two uh, i don't ever go to the bother of setting up the genuine article something like 90 percent of my collection is games i bought during the system life cycle i'm trying to decide if or when i should pull the trigger uh when you all figure it out please let me know well i can pretty much tell you with the star atari stuff People try to sell them for five plus dollars a game, and nobody's buying them at that yeah, price. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a lot just a couple of weeks ago that I was trying to sell. It was about uh, 
35 games or so. All You know, commons, nothing amazing, mm -hmm. but they all were in good shape and worked fine. I was asking 50 bucks for all 30 of them, and I couldn't, I had no takers. Yeah. And I ended up bundling it with something else I was selling to just to get rid of them. Um, so that would have been, what, like $1.50 each, and I still couldn't get it. It's uh, it's rough because I'm I'm one of the few people in our you know gaming Discord slash Twitter group or whatever that has any real nostalgia for Atari stuff, and I was born in '78. Like most people that are born even the five years after me, grew up with the NES. You know, so there's that really specific age window where you're still into retro gaming, but also remember the Atari 2600, um, and never mind the 52 and the 78. Like very few people had those, and very few people enjoyed what they had even yeah. when they did. So, um, you know, it's just, it's tough to get rid of that stuff. Like, I, I got that inbox Demon Attack game from me, which I treasure because it was, like, my favorite game growing up on the Atari. Um, that would be the only game that I would probably pay more than, like, $10 for because you can get the Atari flashback units. They, those play Atari fine. It gives you the experience. They're on every single emulator known to man. You can, and you can get 500 ROMs, and it takes, like, less than 5 megabytes because the games are 16 to 32 kilobytes apiece. <laughs> So there's no reason to have those cartridges unless you truly have the nostalgia for them. Right, exactly. And, and you're and so be, Atari stuff isn't really selling as Yeah, a you're going to be 45, 50 years old to have to need to have this nostalgia. And those people just aren't into gaming as much as we are. So Certainly not willing to pay those prices. Right. And he brings up a good point, too, the dyad, about NES nostalgia, because we're kind of growing out of that now, too. Like, even Alex Messenger, you know, he's young. He didn't really have... His, his first memories were of the N64, maybe a little bit of the Super Nintendo. So do you have a lot of the nostalgia for I mean Logan's not yeah. gonna have any nostalgia, only what he's played here with me. I don't see the prices coming down any, I think that but I also don't see them skyrocketing any. I mean the the very high end highest end stuff for NES, that'll keep going up because the stock will keep going down. Like there's, yeah, there's yeah. fewer they're, and fewer of them available. You know. But it's all about public interest too. So as people get older, I think that interest is going to go down. Those games are not going to be worth as much to them anymore because they're not going to be like, oh, Battletoads, I remember this when I was nine. They're going to be like, my dad used to play that when I was nine. Or better but, and better options for playing them with a closer and closer to quote unquote original feel like you were talking about with the Mister, will continue to become available. For a long time, it's been, do you want to play it on an emulator? Which is fine but you know like might look weird you know it might uh, uh, not sound perfect or you know any number of things could be wrong with it for lack of a better term um, uh, and so that's where the purists can say well yeah I'm playing on original hardware so I'm getting all the stuff that you're not um, and that's really just like picking at nits you know a tiny little you're still playing the game but it's not uh, let's be honest that big of a difference but now like it's the the emulation has is is getting close enough to the real thing that is there that much of a divergence anymore maybe not i wonder if that'll make prices go down or if the market will just sort of disappear if no one's you know buying we'll know Nintendo we'll games. know one day when the bottom falls out on nes prices and like panic restaurant is five dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. uh -oh. that's when you really want the time machine right <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to what the messenger has to say messenger writes when it comes to the retro game collecting bubble i feel like things are going to get worse i started retro game collecting about five years ago and things have definitely went up in price since i started the biggest factor in my opinion was the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic when everyone had a lot more time in their hands and developed an interest in retro gaming I also think the aging of the hardware and software, I'm talking specifically cartridges and discs, could negatively affect the market. Yeah, kind of yeah. reiterating what we said. Um, and even within the last five, yeah, so five years, I mean, it's been two years or so since 
the pandemic since lockdown. So that tracks. That's another aspect too. Like people were really hard on their PlayStation games, their original PlayStation CD based games. And like they were hard on NES cartridges too, but those things were built like tanks. And you could be reasonably certain that an NES game is going to continue to work unless it was like really, really abused. Mm Mm-hmm. CD based games not so much even even light scratches can cause them to not work right especially on an older original unit where the laser is tired or you know something like that yeah. it's it, it, if you don't have an immaculate disc and those are hard to come by these days you might have problems yeah. and there's nothing you can do about the, it the combination largely. of the scratch discs and the and the lasers going or make just as a recipe for disaster right i wonder if that means we're going to see a much bigger repair market you know for like ps1 units and things like that you know. Yeah, I mean they already exist. I mean every oh, every I know they exist. every retro gaming Discord I'm on, there tends to be one or two people who were like, you know, somebody complains that their laser is dying on their PS1, and somebody says, hey, you know, I do repairs. You can send it to me, and here's your, here's what I charge. So I mean that business is getting more and more strong as it goes because these units are definitely failing. Plus stuff like you know the the PSIO where people are coming up with more solutions that they don't have to use optical media anymore. You can still use your console. But use a you know an ODE an SD card a micro SD card or a hard drive instead of your your CDs and your DVDs. Yeah, you can um, you can get a pile of broken PS ones and they're all just dead lasers on eBay for you know five dollars a piece. Right. You can get as many as you want. They're yeah. they're they're definitely there and they're cheap. You just have to have a reasonable method of fixing them. And is that a fifteen or twenty dollar laser that you put into it, or is that a hundred dollar ODE that you you know need to have the soldering skills to put in? Yeah. Both are solutions. That reminds me, I gotta. But the solutions are there. Yeah, I gotta pick up that X station for my my PS One. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to do that for a while. Yeah, those are cool. Uh, Kung Fu Carlito says, "For a long time, I thought the bubble was gonna burst, but now I'm realizing it might just be more like a tidal wave." That's a pretty good analogy. Uh, as people get older, the hotter items are just going to be whatever they grew up with. I think the big ones from each gen are still going to be hunted and scalped and all that, but the focus will turn to newer gen retro stuff. Yeah, that, that kind of tracks with what we were talking about. The yeah. newer generation is going to be... And I mean, like looking at Logan, so it's like even looking at Eddie, like Eddie grew up with Xbox 360, but it was mine. Like he didn't care about the games. He doesn't at all care about PS3 or Xbox 360, even though he grew up with them. He's just PC. It's just what he downloads on Steam. Is, is that just still him being young enough, though? Like, I feel like when I was his age, I didn't care about NES either. I mean, I cared about it, but it's certainly not something that, like, I thought about on a day-to-day basis. I don't basis. know. I mean, he's 16. Like, when I was 16, I was still kind of, you know, playing NES and SNES. But the reason the retro market is so high is that people our age are trying to relive our misspent yeah. youth by getting all of those games right, again. Right. Yeah. And we're... You know, in our 30s and 40s now, not not 17 or whatever. But then Logan, who's 12, like grew up with Wii U and, and Switch, so and, th- and then directly into PC, like he doesn't do console anymore either. So and that makes me wonder. So like right now, the hottest things are GBA and uh, GameCube. I'd say are, are you know like unreasonably expensive. Yeah. Does that mean like five years from now, the Wii and the DS are going to be unreasonably expensive? Yeah, probably. Or are people just going to like? Do you do you remember when find other ways of getting that nostalgia? Well, itch, this generation is also growing up much more into technology and are used to digital games. So I think that That's the difference I mean. of they're not going to be so into holding a physical Wii game and saying, "Oh my God, I have this copy of Kirby and the Magic Mirror" or whatever the hell. It's going to be more like, "Oh, I just downloaded the ROM and I'm playing it, and I have the memory for the game itself, but not necessarily for the physicality of collecting it," because. 
their new normal is digital, right. whereas our new normals are are kind of a mix between the two. Yeah. Right. So I mean, so does that suggest that the actual retro collectors market is gonna like cease to exist once the the current in thing is a digital format? I, I think it'll still exist. It just won't be the number of people interested in physical will decline greatly after this generation because they won't have the nostalgia for it. So maybe there's hope you'll complete that NES collection someday. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> 70 years okay. old. One of these days, I'm going to find you uh, uh, a little Samson. Or something You're going to find a little Samson stuffed in an NES <laughs> <laughs> that you got for $5. You'll see. It's yeah, going to happen. Someday. True. I wait for that day. <laughs> All right. Uh, Metal Man, Todd. Metal Man says, I'm not a collector and I have no desire to own a game just for the sake of owning it. It's hard for me to imagine that some of those prices are anything but a bubble. Taking the question more broadly, I'm fast sorry, I'm fascinated by the growth in bug fixes, demakes, and spiritual successors. I would totally be into doing all that kind of work if I had the time to invest in it. The part of the state of retro seems very healthy and vibrant to me. I hope it lasts for many years to come. Oh, so yeah, that that, that that's actually exactly harkens back was... to the wizardry thing yeah. while you're talking about bug fixes, right? And, and and the Kando thing, yeah. I mean, any game, any retro game that's found to have any kind of significant bug usually has a patch available for a ROM, for you know, an emulated version on ROMHacks.net or something yeah, like yeah. that. You can't really do that with an actual cartridge, though, which is why I have to use the Game Genie solution. Right, or you use a flash cart. You know, you use an EverDrive. You just well, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. I mean, that's that's a ROM. That's a patch. ROM yeah, or you make a repro of it with the fixed ROM on the on the reproduction. Right. You know, um, it, it, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, obviously, we know that technology wise, you you can't do this. But it would be interesting if there was uh, somebody discovered a way that you could actually flash new data to classic NES cartridges and make a fix. The only way to do that would be to take the original chip out and put in a new EEPROM. Yeah. 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 Um, because yeah, they're not. And if they were flashable, they would probably start dying more quickly than if they were permanently flashed anyway. So, right. uh, Joe, our last uh, entry is from Ryan DS. Ryan DS writes: I follow the collectible card market, specifically Magic: The Gathering. The trend is on a similar path. In 2020, people were ten times their investments. It created a craze that was unsustainable. By the summer of 2022, the market collapsed, mostly due to overloading the market with product and loss of faith in the company. People started losing money on sealed product, and a course correction began. In Retro VGM, the pandemic created new interest in the collectible capital M market. A prime example is the NFT scam and WADA grade collectibles. As the pandemic winds to a close and interest dwindles, the market adjusts. The, bu- the bubble will burst, likely not collapse. Collectibles are only worth what someone's willing to pay. If you can't sell it, it's worth nothing. I may own valuable cards and games, but unless I could sell them, they only hold potential value. Potential value fluctuates and high prices can't last forever. Well, leave it to an economist to just ruin our whole discussion. <laughs> I mean, it's a great point. My wife and I uh, were talking recently about the Beanie Baby craze. You may all remember from, what was it, the ni- oh, early man. 90s or something yeah, like that? My dad and was everybody so was that. buying so many of those damn things, thinking and keeping the tags on and all that stuff, thinking they were valuable. And people were divorcing and like arguing about I, how to split I, the uh, Right. I, I was pointing oh, out the picture of that, that couple in the divorce in the divorce <clears throat> courtroom uh, that were dividing up their pile of Beanie Babies in the middle of the courtroom. Yep. And it just seems so weird now to actually see that that was so popular that people were doing that at the time. And, you know, maybe someday people will look back on this and think the same thing. Why did, why were people spending thousands of dollars on an NES game? <laughs> Sir. Sarah's going to think I'm a loser for collecting video games when she's older. Although, when she's a teenager, she'll think I'm a loser anyway. 
You could leave it to your kid and be like, someday this is going to be worth millions of dollars. And it, it won't. <coughs> oh, man. Uh, well, it's true. I mean, when we were kids, um, we were really into Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, my whole family watched it, and we got a bunch of those next generation, you know, action figures and stuff. Kept them in the packaging, put them in the attic. Someday these are going to be worth a lot because the original Star we, Trek figures yeah. were worth a lot. And you, you go on eBay now and five, ten dollars a piece yeah. because everybody's got them and they ended up being a loss. So my dad and I collected baseball cards when I was a kid for exactly the same reason. Someday this will pay for your college, he, he told me. Yeah. And on everything. Along the millions of other dads saying the same thing. Yeah, and I think I sold everything off about 10 years ago for a few hundred bucks, yeah. which I was happy to get at the time. You know, tons of complete sets, all sorts of stuff that my dad and I spent, you know, hundreds of hours buying and organizing and cataloging and putting in sheets. And, and like, I have those happy memories, and I'm glad we did it, and I don't regret it, but they sure as heck didn't turn in anything profitable. No, not at all. Especially when you adjust for inflation. It's probably a huge loss. Oh, that. yeah, for sure. <laughs> I ended up keeping, like, one small box of things that I had a nostalgia for, like the, the players I like, the cards that I like the best, but they're sure as heck not worth it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, in my opinion, the bubble will burst eventually, but it's going to be because people are going to age out of collecting, or the economy is just going to wreck this generation so hard that they're not going to be able to afford the prices anymore or both yeah. yeah rather than rather than the market adjusting for it which is sad um but i'm glad that we do have other ways to play and preserve these games without needing to have the physical that's kind of copies. the most important thing yeah that i can go play uh i appreciate outfits like gog <clears throat> that are trying to um bring old games back on the market as much as they can and they do they have a lot of great old titles available for not a lot of money but the fact of the matter is what with licensing and sometimes you don't know who actually owns a game anymore right. or yeah. the license holder not wanting to put it back on the market, exactly. which is a thing, yep. or any number of things, all these games would just disappear. Yeah, we've been going through that with uh, the 3DO. Like, I'm in that 3DO group, and there's a lot of 3DO developers that want to, you know, mod 3DO games or make re-releases of 3DO games, and we're, like, trying to figure out who actually owns a lot of these titles. And, like, this one company called Ziggurat Interactive bought a lot of the 3DO IPs and they're like, well, we want to do some stuff with this eventually, but they've been sitting on them. And we were like, can we buy them from you? Like, <laughs> let's make more 3DO sequels and stuff. I'm surprised they don't make new consoles as well. That's a whole other story. It, let's it, let's it, save that for a topic for a different yeah, show. Because okay. <laughs> I think we've already gone pretty long with this one. Uh, let's move on to our next topic All right, from Joe. So, listeners, you're going to get to hear the YouTube version of this track, but Ed and Todd, you are going to have to deal with me singing it live. <laughs> My track is Don't Deal With The Devil from Cuphead, released for everything back in 2017 through about 2020. I think it came out for this, the Switch last. Hmm. Uh, composed by Chris Madigan. Enjoy. And I'm talking to you and you too. You better enjoy my performance. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, Cuphead and his Pelmug man, they like to roll the dice. By chance they came upon Devil's Game, and gosh, they paid the price. Paid the price. And now they're fighting for their lives on a mission fraught with dread. And if they proceed but don't succeed, well... 
devil will take their heads. And we're back. That was Don't Deal With The Devil from Cuphead, the title theme released for everything starting in 2017, composed by Chris Madigan. He really did sing it. He really did. And about 30% of the notes were on key, I think. Uh, That's pretty good for me. As I say, I will always apologize for the quality, but never the fact of my singing. You knew all the words by heart, so that was impressive. There's that. Um, so we had one one very last minute addition to our last topic. Uh, Dan Lawton chimed in at the very end, um, and he said, "To me, there has to be a point where this bubble bursts. People keep getting stretched further financially, and too many games are getting so outrageously expensive. It's got to give. When a game that should be a tongue in cheek, whatever game in a collection like Color a Dinosaur is over a hundred dollars loose, seven hundred dollars boxed, something is wrong. It might never go down, but I hope it does because that just doesn't seem right. It feels like a collector's market." Not a gamer's market. Amen. Totally, yeah. totally correct. And I did briefly bring up the economy and how people do have less money to spend. And if anything's going to burst the bubble, it's going to be that. People just can't afford these games anymore. And who are these people that are buying these outrageous prices? Because that's the only thing that's going to keep this bubble going is if there are still people buying these high-priced games. You'd think it'd be people like us who are, I'll say, financially, I don't want to say settled, but more comfortable than like a 24-year-old's going to be. Right. Um, would have more disposable income for this sort of thing. But the three of us have all sort of said, nope, we're not doing it. So, like, who's going to be doing it then? I agree. Are there, like, really rich, you know, people in their 20s that will spend the money? That's all I can Uh, assume. Or people that are rich and in their 40s and 50s that are doing it for a collector's market and not a gamer's market, like Dan says. Yeah. Good point. It's unfortunate. Uh, All right. So, moving on to your topic. So... Uh, unlike Todd, my <laughs> tracks tend to go with my topic. I'm going to give you the stocks. I'm going to give you Todd's stocks. Yes. VGM Penny stock. <laughs> my topic is what is the most difficult game you've, you've ever beaten on either normal mode or harder? Moving it down to easy mode does not count. Uh, the thing that got me thinking about this was, uh, like I said at the top of the show, I gave up on Iterna Noctis. I got all the way to the final boss and I just couldn't beat it. it I'm just not as good as I... Yeah, we watched video was. of that after the last uh, MSC exclusive, and that boss looks real hard. Even I think when I was in my 20s and had, you know, uh, uh, reflexes, <laughs> you know, like young people do, yep. I don't know if I could have done it then either. It's just really difficult, which is too bad because it was such a great game. Um, similarly, uh, Cuphead, I was not able to beat. I got to the second to last boss on that where you have to fight the... Uh, uh, dice man you have to win like four or five boss battles in a row in order to get a shot at fighting the real boss and I just couldn't do it like I could always move it down to easy mode and try it that way but that feels like cheating to me it's got to be on at least normal mode is how I've always played things mm. I don't make them harder just to make them harder but if I can't beat it on normal mode I just sort of say well it's too much for me and I've been gaming for you know, almost 40 years now that's fair so it's um so for me, the uh, I'll, I'll say my top game, most difficult, was uh, going to be Celeste. I beat that a few years ago. That was tough, but I stuck with it and got through it and really enjoyed it. So I'm glad I played that one. I'm glad I beat it. But uh, couldn't beat I Turn an Octus, couldn't beat Cuphead. And Todd and I, for a while, worked on Battle Kid, and we got very far along in that one before just... That one got too tough, too. It's pixel perfection those games require, and I just don't have it. What about you guys? Well, um, I've beaten several of the Souls games, which are up there. Elden Ring, um, uh, Dark Souls 1 and 3, not 2. Um, 
I'm looking at my list for the last couple of years. Ender Lilies was a challenging one. Um, Blasphemous. Oh yeah, that was tough too. Uh, was was tough. Um, I don't know if you count like. Is Zelda 2 considered a hard game? I think if so. You, really? If you like go in sight unseen and not really uh, like I beat that do walkthroughs or anything, like I beat that fairly recently. It was challenging for sure. Yeah, generally I mean, it's there, it's not considered like an easy game. An I don't easy know game. about. Yeah, I wouldn't consider it an easy game. There's I, don't, a, I don't know if that like would be in the running though. There's an amazing fan hack called uh, um, Shadow of Night, I think. Uh, a Zelda 2 fan hack, complete, mm. you know, like from the ground up with the same engine, but like the whole map is different, and it's incredibly difficult if you like have any love for the original Zelda 2. This one's really good. I've been trying to buy it on a cartridge, but I can't find it anywhere. I hope that someday soon the original Wizardry is going to be on my list. <laughs> it is. It is not an easy game. It. Um. Well, I mean, people keep calling Snowrunner the Dark Souls of trucking games, so I can add that. Um, Hotline Miami definitely considered a very hard game. I beat that. Um, so people consider Bionic Commando really hard, and maybe just because. The mechanics of the game are very difficult to get used to. I've never beaten um, it. I've never beaten it either. I can beat it without dying, so I, I guess I consider that part I of the say list. say that's up there for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. I generally don't play very many super hard games, to be honest with you. Ikaruga, that's a hard game. I beat that. Um, that's a bullet hell game, right? That's a yeah, bullet yeah. hell shooter. Yeah, I, can no, I can never get anywhere in those. Um, those get a little too chaotic for me. Yeah. That was that. Yeah, that was a game that I had on the Dreamcast back when I had a lot of time to play games. I was working at GameStop, so I was just, and I really, really liked it. So I got really good at it. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I'm just not a very hard game player. Like I prefer to go on easy mode. I'm like a game tourist. I prefer to just experience the game and not necessarily have to. I like to have a broad experience with many games instead of spending so much time on one. And I'm saying that with over 300 hours in Vampire Survivors, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like to take, you know, games that I'm not obsessed with, I tend to like to just get through as fast as possible so I can move on to other stuff. I, I, I like a game that has really good progression, that's fun to play, starts out easy to get you hooked, but then is nearly impossible to beat. Hmm. Like, uh, I was that way with uh, Dead Cells. I, I got sucked into that, as I'm sure you Oh, Dead Cells. I, I beat that too. Okay, so um, yeah, definitely that one. And I did end up beating it, but oh man, I had to put a lot of hours. But yep. I got so excited that the first time I beat it, it was the middle of the night, because I, you know, one more run, one more run. Yeah. And it was three in the morning, and I did a little dance. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> I guess that's a, even a better way of putting the question. What uh, what games have you beaten that made you do the little dance the in, little the middle dance. Of, in the middle yeah. of the night? I don't know. I mean... It's and funny don't, because... Don't tell me you don't have a game like that. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's... A, well, Blind of Commando, definitely. The first time I beat that, I was ecstatic. Um, but would you consider, like... <clears throat> this might be a topic for a different show. But would you consider 100%ing a very, very long game difficult? Or, or would you just relegate that to, like... Soulsborne stuff where time. it's the actual playing of the game is difficult. Like, is it difficult to stick with a game long enough to 100% it? Because if that's the case, then I've got lots of games that I've done that. Um, a lot of those games, like, like Celeste, what Joe was talking about, like, the main game is difficult, but if you want 100% it and you want to, like, do all the things and get all the stuff, yeah, that's a, like, it's just another level. Right, of right. universe of difficult, like, I couldn't even imagine a game. And like I, I, I also, I also beat Celeste, but I definitely did not. Oh, do yeah. all this I stuff. didn't come anywhere close. <laughs> to. 
I finished the game and saw the ending. I consider that a success for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry I don't have a better answer to that. I'm just not a very... Usually I, I hear, like, hard game and i like, uh, I think I'll play something else instead. So... Somebody's phone's blowing up. All right, anything else we want to talk about before we move on to the last topic of the show? No, let's do it. All right, let's go. So my track is uh, very much related to my topic. Uh, I'm going to play the Heavy Iron Knight theme song 2 from Steel Battalion Heavy Armor. This came out on the Xbox 360 in 2012. Uh, I'm not sure if this was composed by Motoi Sakuraba or Yoshikazu. Takayama uh, Sakuraba's credited for the theme song of the game, and this is theme song two, but I don't. One of the two. We'll be right back.
crossing the channel in another and greater operation. It has come to pass... All right, we're back. That was Heavy Iron Knight theme song 2 from Steel Battalion Heavy Armor, released on the Xbox 360 in 2012, composed by Motoi Sakuraba and Yoshikazu Takayama. I uh, didn't even realize that there had been a sequel to Steel Battalion until I looked for Steel Battalion stuff and found this, which I, I really like the song. Um, this is a Kinect game, so I guess you move your body to maneuver the mech around the screen, which is, I guess, maybe why people didn't really play it that much. Um, but I thought it was a fun kind of rap rock. It feels very 90s, even though the game was released in 2012. But I just thought it was a fun addition. Everything old is new again. Yep, exactly. Um, and I picked this song because Steel Battalion is very famously known as being one of the most expensive games you can get because it comes with this ginormous multi-hundred dollar tank controller. Uh, this was the original Xbox game. And the game was more known for its price than it was for its actual gameplay. Even though the game is good. But everybody's like, that's the expensive game. So my topic is the cost of video games rising. The newest entry in the Legend of Zelda franchise is confirmed to be $70 at launch in U.S. prices. Do you think these price hikes are justified? And what's the most you would pay for a brand new video game that you are excited about? Are you booing my topic or booing the concept? No, booing the concept oh, okay. of the new Zelda game being $70. Boo. Yeah. So what do you guys think? I think it was only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, with you know the the value of the, of the dollar going down at a semi constant rate and even faster right now, um, I I don't I don't see how it could have gone anywhere. It's the standard's been sixty dollars for so long. How, what maybe PS one or PS two days? Mm-hmm. Um, that it like I don't I don't know that it could have kept going on like that with games costing more and more to make certainly triple a games yeah um and yes they generally sell pretty well but uh I, I think it was only a matter of time i think people forget that like back in the snes days so mid 90s like big square titles went for 75 dollars in those dollars yeah um and that was nobody said a peep then so like i think it's i think it's just the shock of the price going up I'm not saying I think, that. I think people still complained. I just think there wasn't an internet to complain to. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but I bought Final Fantasy, you know, and I yeah. so like I was a teenager at, a t- at the time. I was working a minimum wage job, you know, so $75 is a lot of money. And not that it's not now, but certainly at the time. Yeah. Um, for I'm, where I was financially, that's 75 bucks is a lot of money. I think that's yeah. why I never got into Squaresoft stuff. I didn't buy Chrono Trigger because it was just more expensive than the other games. So yeah. I was like, I can buy two games or, you know, one and a half games for the cost of this one. And so I never really got into that stuff. No. <clears throat> and, and for me, even now, like new games, well, up until now with new games being $60, rarely do I buy a game new. I'm like, unless it's something that I'm super amped to play. Yeah. Outside of Nintendo first party stuff, which never really goes down in price anyway, um, I can't remember the last time I spent $60 on a, on a new game. I always wait six months or a year and get it, you know. $30, $40 if I really want to play it, something like that. And I think Joe largely does the same, yeah. where he just, he waits to get it at a tag sale for three I, bucks. <laughs> well, I still complain about, you know, having to pay limited run full price, you know, games and they're, they sell them for 35 or 40 bucks. And I complain about that because there's no way to get those cheaper. Right. I like to own games that I like physical and with limited run or super rare or those companies, the only way to get them is to pay full retail price. 
Um, but I'm going to be continue to be the worst consumer in America, uh, and I will download The Legend of Zelda right when it is released and play the heck out of it and put 150 hours into it and love it. And then a couple years from now, I will end up trading for it or buying it used for like 20 bucks. And hey, it's the way I do everything. You know, I'm very excited. Buy it eventually, so. Yeah. I'm very excited to play the new Zelda. I have not pre-ordered it yet. Uh, oh, yeah. And I probably am not yeah. going to. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to buy it. Uh, but I I have certainly like withheld my, my pre-order, whereas at 60, I probably would have just done it. So there's definitely, there is a change there. I, and I get it, but I think it was only a matter of time. I don't think that. Mm. I just don't pre-order games ever on principle anyway, so it doesn't, you know, unless they're offering something really, really good. But generally, it's like a cosmetic that you get. I'm like, I, I don't I, care. I rarely, rarely do as well. Yeah. I haven't pre-ordered Final Fantasy 16, and there's no way I'm not playing that as well. So Right, right. <clears throat> um, generally, like, and I hate to say it, but the Switch emulators are really, really good, and you can play Breath of the Wild in 60 frames per second, ultra widescreen, twice the resolution graphics. It's like, if you can play it better on the computer with a digital version, I'd rather just, I don't know, buy it from the eShop and then import it into a computer and play it like that than have to pre-order a, a physical copy of the game and, and put it in my Switch. So, I don't know. Uh, doesn't make any any sense to me at all why people pre-order games, but that's a whole different topic. Um, I did a lot of it back when uh, when Amazon Prime had that deal where you could get twenty percent off of a, a pre-order. When oh you yeah, anything. I mean yeah, if you're saving money, then that, definitely. That yeah. that changed when they cut when they cut that off though. I basically stopped pre-ordering right, right. games. Or, or, or back when there was no digital version and it was like physical or bust, and if they sold out for the first you couldn't get it for month, another yeah. like right, and you need to play it, then you play it. You know, then then you pre-order it but there's less and less reason to do so nowadays. And I yeah. think that's why companies are saying, hey, here's a little trinket for doing so. This is the only way you can get people yeah. to pre-order now, because you're right. It's not, unless it's, unless it is a, a limited run and not, not the company, but a very limited run of physical games, like for Switch or something like that. Uh, I mean, CDs can be stamped out, you know, pennies. Yeah, for each of them, so they can. And they just don't even come with instruction manuals. It's like you just. And they don't come with manuals or anything, right? Piece of paper for the for the cover. Yeah, yeah. It's put a, a it's a disc, Blu-ray disc in the there, and you're good to go. And that's it. And, and you can't tell me they're not going to print uh, or create a million Breath of the Wild two cartridges. Oh, of course. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'll be one of the most common games ever. So. So yeah, but two it years will still, I'll buy mine for twenty. But in yeah, but yeah. in two years, Nintendo will still be selling it at seventy dollars. Right, <laughs> right. Why I'm a Which consumer. and that's that's not true for for any other franchise or any other uh, developer <laughs> that I can think of. No, nope, not at all. The exact they, opposite of the sports games, which a year later go for a dollar at best. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm surprised <laughs> that Nintendo Game Boy Advance. Yeah, or 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 GameCube now. At which point, as previously discussed, they're too expensive. I'm surprised Nintendo has not been sued for price fixing. Or, you know, anti-competitive consumer, whatever they call it. Like, just for not depreciating their product. I think there's laws against that, but I don't know how they work. Is there? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but also, um, that even now, like, there's a lawsuit against Steam for not properly depreciate. Like, there's a class action lawsuit against Steam for charging too much for their games or something like that. Um does Steam determine, uh, outside of games that Valve has developed, does Steam determine the price for games? I don't I think it's know. I, I looked into the to, into the lawsuit, and it's like there were like surcharges or whatever that they were not disclosing, or there was some sort of 
they were taking a percentage of the cost that they shouldn't have. They certainly take like, a percentage, but do they say this is what this is? Yeah, going the, to sell the, at? the lawsuit is basically like you paid more than you should have for your games, and depending on how many games you bought between these time frames, yeah. like you will get some sort of recompense back for it. So I signed up because I have like over a thousand games on Steam, and I'm like, well, if it's a period where I bought a hundred something games, then I can stand to get a decent amount of change back. So interesting. Yeah. Be weird if it all came back in Steam credit. <laughs> <laughs> just buy more overpriced you games. A, you can get another thousand games. Yeah, just but think it's of all just SnowRunner and Vampire Survivor DLC. Exactly, <laughs> tons and tons new new trucks and new vampires. Um, but that's just I don't know the theme of companies overcharging people. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm kind of against the seventy dollar thing because at the same time, like you said, the economy is bad. They're raising the price of games where people have less money to spend on leisure. So it's widening that gap between people that can afford these games. It may come back to bite them because of that. You make a game that's 70 bucks, a lower income person can't afford it, but it's not like, you know, five years from now, they're still selling freaking Mario Odyssey for $60. Like, will will that lower income person ever be able to afford a new Nintendo game? Never, because it never goes down in price. Right, and even the used I mean, you ones can get go even, for like fifty five because Nintendo won't lower the price on their new ones, so yeah. the, the used price stays higher too. And it's just very exclusionary, and it's like almost classism on Nintendo's part, not allowing people with lesser incomes to enjoy their properties. That's a good point. So yeah. it, that that upsets me more than anything else. Yeah, I think. no, and, and that's I, that's that's totally reasonable take on it. I think that'll hurt them eventually, but not with this game. This game will sell. Yeah, I mean, I but outside, Breath of the Wild too. But it also it also increases the piracy too, because then those people that say, "Well, I can't afford it now. I'll never be able to afford it. I'm going to get the you know the hacked version online and just play it on yeah. outside a, a hacked of Switch or outside of Nintendo." Though, when you have almost any other publisher, like Final Fantasy 16, for example, trying to sell a game for seventy dollars, you're going to get the diehards that are going to buy it day one, sure. Yeah, but there might be less of them. Right, and it'll they, drop because off everybody knows that in know six months down. it's going to be sixty, or maybe even fifty dollars, exactly, uh, or possibly less. Or when the holidays roll around, you might be able to get it for thirty or forty. Yeah, uh, you know, this same year. Right. Um, so, like, why? I mean, I want to play Final Fantasy sixteen. Do I need to play it the day it's out? No, I've got a ton no. of things. Yeah, I, I, I have to wonder at the number of people that buy a digital copy of Mario Odyssey on the eShop for $60. How many people are doing that? Like, and and why? <laughs> it can't be very many people at this point. That's what baffles, Justifying that cost. That's what baffles me about game. the digital market is paying the same price as a physical... Yeah, with less like, overhead. What, not just less overhead, but less abilities to do with it as you want. True. I can't lend you it can't to Joe. I can't, it, can't lend, lend my digital it, copy to Joe. Yeah, I can't, can't sell it to somebody back. else. Yep. Um, and... But often, physical copies end up going down in price before digital. Right, right. And the possibility that eventually the eShop will close, the Switch will become obsolete, and then you can't get it anymore. And then you can't get it anymore, you know? right. Which, you know, is concerning, but... Sure. Well, let's see what our other friends have to say. This was the public one, so we've got some, some new folks chiming in on this as well. Uh, but stalwart Chris Murray says... I don't think these price hikes are justified, and very much not in this case. The Switch is almost six years old and clearly at the end of its development capacity, so I can't see how this Breath of the Wild game does more than the first Breath of the Wild game in terms of graphics, performance, etc. In fact, they seem to be reusing a ton of assets from the first Breath of the Wild, which is fine, but doesn't warrant more money per game. 
Also, at a higher level, while not trying to get too political, wage increases and the buying power of consumers has not risen with cost of goods and the profits of large corporations, so Nintendo can shove $70 wherever someone wants to suggest they shove it. But I'm still going to buy Breath of the Wild, too. <laughs> Damn it, Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, and he, he, he made it some of the same points that I yeah. did. I didn't even see that part when I copy-pasted his, his response. But um, All great points, but like we seem to be focusing on Breath of the Wild and not like that all games seem to be are, are, are being released at seven not all but yeah i don't many know any games other games at this point this, this, is, this is just the one that i think has made the news this the is most. probably the one yeah that's really taking people off and probably for the same reason that you are we're talking about it's never going to come down right price. it's going to make the greatest impact i think it's going to make for the greatest sure. impact you're right yeah oh yeah that's going to it's going to be over 60 dollars permanently yeah like that game will, yeah. right unless you you know there's a black friday sale where you can get it for one day at 70 or you know 65 dollars yeah what about the diet? Oh, uh, the diet says, uh, I don't really play AAA releases, at least not on release, and I have very little gaming time as it is, so the $70 price tag is a deal breaker for me. I'm not sure what kind of game would motivate me to get it on day one, but I don't think I would go much higher than 40 or $50. I think a lot of people are... Yeah, I wonder how a, common that is. It's a very sound... Again, AAA yeah. games for almost anything but Nintendo first parties games and, and on their systems are going to go down pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's that's the part of the question that you guys didn't answer, but what's the most you would pay for a release day game that you're really excited about? I, I grumble about paying 40 bucks for limited run things. Yeah. So so your bar's low. So the, so that's... I do it, but that's it. Yeah. I wouldn't go higher than that. I'm going to be my crappy consumer self and buy it used. Yep. I've definitely paid 60 for your Zeldas and your Marios um, and your Metroids. But uh, as I said, I haven't pre-ordered anything for seventy dollars yet. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, uh, it it has hit that threshold for me. I'm 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 with you on that. I think sixty was kind of like sixty was a lot to justify even on release day. Seventy <clears throat> is just like it just feels so much closer to a hundred dollars. I'm like I don't think I can really. I know it's hard unless it's a game where I know like I'm gonna play it and my whole family's gonna enjoy it and there's gonna be multiple people enjoying this game. But Breath of the Wild Two probably will be just me. And for a, you know if it were like just like I don't know a Breath of the Two quality like Mario Party where I can invite like lots of people over, where I can play with Mila and Eddie and Logan and you know get a lot of hours of multiple people enjoyment out of it. Maybe I can justify a higher price for Even it. Then, it's, it's, it's it's tough. It's, yeah. You get really got to weigh the pros and the cons, and 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 the, and the number of hours you're going to be actually enjoying it. Um, How many? I mean, Breath of the Wild was a huge game, but to just go through the story and not necessarily do all of the stuff and junk. Do we remember yeah. how long a game that was? It, it really depends on your I, skill level. Like, you can do it in 20 hours, you can do it in 30 hours, you can do it in 40 hours. It really depends on what, well, how strong you want to be when you eventually get to Ganon. And are we, are we going back to the, like, 90s mindset of uh, uh, how uh, uh, the value of a game is and how long that it takes you to play it as well? Possibly. Do, I mean, do, do you remember I mean, like PlayStation One level games that were like 150 hours, and they were like, "Well, it's very long, so that justifies the sixty dollar cost, right?" Not necessarily. I think people learned, but yeah, maybe not. There are but, people that you know speed run Breath of the Wild and go to Ganon with a, a pot, pot lid and a and a wooden <laughs> stick and, and beat him and beat him somehow. So I, I mean, Metroid Dread came out two years ago now, and it was a sixty dollar game and still is, mm-hmm. and it's only a at max 20 hour game I think yeah I think I beat it in like 
like 15 or 16 hours. And, nobody, and it's good, and yeah, it was what I wanted. But a great game. But nobody really talks about it anymore. So, I don't know. Like I, like I said, I like to see... I, I would like to see Nintendo's numbers and how much that drops off while the games still stay at the same price. Hmm. Uh, Joe, why don't you read what the diet has to say? Oh, no, you already uh, did that. Metal I'll, I'll do Metal Man. Oh. Um, on game prices, it's hard for me to say if the, hard, if the higher price is justified. I remember when AAA games were 40 or 50 bucks and then eventually 60 It seems like it's been at that $60 mark for a while now, and the teams that produce these games are at times breathtakingly large. They gotta get paid somehow. On the other hand, it would be a lot easier to stomach if leaders at some of these big companies hadn't earned themselves such a reputation for their excess, hubris, and hostile working conditions. In other words, I have my doubts about whether the extra revenue would actually make it into the hands of the people who work so hard to create these games. Very good point. Yep. I guess I wouldn't mind the price hike if, it could, if I could be confident that the people doing the work were getting better wages or better working conditions, but I'm not confident that's the case. Yeah, Agree 100%. Justify yeah. their stuff. Definitely. That goes along. It would way. make it. It would make it easier to spend that seventy dollars if yeah. it wasn't going to. I, I actually copied a place from a website called the Marketplace about this. It's a short article, but at the bottom of it, the reason given. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Um. So, oh, what's this guy's name? Um, it was a market executive, but basically they said that. Um, Largely, I'd say a move by platforms and publishers to $70 is to capture more market value, which is literally just business speak for to create more profit, not to necessarily compensate for increased prices of production. So <clears throat> if that's if that's the truth, then no, I don't want to pay $70 for a game. I'm sorry. Um, I just can't justify that yeah, morally right. or financially at all. All right, we got a lot of responses for this, so why don't we move on to Todd? Uh, Red Hua? That's why I say it. Uh, apologies, Red, if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, to summarize, no, I would not shell out $70 for a brand new game, regardless of the current inflation. In fact, it doesn't even make sense for games to be even more expensive during an economic downturn, since it's not supposed to uh, be some form of high-end... Since it's not supposed to be... F some form of high-end entertainment price-wise. Making video game entertainment increasingly a luxury, uh, in fact, is going to convince more and more people to turn to piracy and even away from gaming altogether. As for the max I would pay for a game, the regular industry standard uh, in the past, $60. I still think it's a lot, especially compared to earlier uh, aught standard uh, of $50, but that is still manageable, but uh, to increase further, hell no. When uh, am I misremembering? When was the standard fifty dollars? Like for what generation? Um, it'd be before the two thousand PS two era. Was it? Was, was it, it around early two thousand? Yeah, that kind of sounds familiar. Yeah, um, but as we were saying, like even the even for Super did, Nintendo SquareSoft games, was this was was there a similar uprising like this when when the industry moved to sixty dollars? Well, Red Red Hua also lives in Jordan. He's in the Middle East, so. He might have a different. Oh yes, okay. Pricing might be a little bit different, right. um, but I think he did spend some time in the states, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm not. I'm not completely sure, but um, <clears throat> no, I, I think I remember like Dreamcast and PS2 era. Like I was, I was working at GameStop before the PS2 got released, and I think Dreamcast games were just forty nine ninety nine for the most part. So probably like PS1, Dreamcast, and then they started slowly to climb upward during the PS2. It does make era. a good point, though, that that they might be sort of pricing themselves out of the market. It is 
entertainment and not something yeah. people need. This isn't, you know, milk and eggs. You know? I don't, right, I don't right. see people turning away from gaming, but I definitely see more and more piracy and more and more, like, you know, <clears throat> other options and other ways to play games, like we talked about during the retro gaming. Sure. Know? I mean, that's why discussion. I love, like, indie games so much. You know, and that's why I have a thousand games on Steam, because I've got them all for, like, under $10 each. Yeah. And they provide just as much entertainment to me as a lot of the AAA. I mean, I'm not even a big AAA gamer. I don't I really don't find a lot of them very entertaining. I'd rather just stick with the indies, play a whole bunch of them, and not break the bank at all. So. And I think nowadays that because people have so many more options, I, I wouldn't surprise me if the AAA titles just don't sell as well for yeah. for the, that reason. Yep. You know, if you don't want to play the new Breath of the Wild, I'm sure there's an, some open world indie games that you could get out there for twenty bucks or less. That was, wasn't know. there an indie game that basically like was Breath of the Wild. Like sure looked very much like sure it, and dozen, looked and played very much like it recently. Um, uh, Immortals: Phoenix Rising was, uh, I'll say, uh, Maybe Breath of the Wild like, of. and you you were able to get that game when it came out for I think like twenty dollars for Switch. Yeah, that that game it, they came out uh, it came out for uh, Christmas was it three years ago I think, and I picked up my copy for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, new, brand new, you know. I frankly am surprised that Nintendo is selling the Metroid remastered for forty dollars. Well, yeah, they, they, they tend to do that. More or less. I, I, I'm surprised that they're not trying to sell it for 60 Oh, yeah. yeah. And Horizon Zero Dawn is kind of a Breath of the Wild alike, too, in some yeah. senses, and that's come down quite a bit in price, too. But again, that's not on Switch. And that right, Nintendo right, right. Nintendo treats its customers different, as we've said yeah. over the years. But I'm I mean, just talking about games that are, you know... PS4 games are dirt cheap now. You can right. buy a Horizon, the, the complete version, for like $10, I think. Yeah, it's absurd. Um... That just accentuates the point about Nintendo's pricing, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I agree. Zero Dawn hasn't been out as long as Breath of the original Breath of the Wild, and you can get it, as you said, for like ten dollars. Get it for ten dollars. Whereas Breath yeah, of the Wild, exactly. original Breath of the and Wild, still sixty. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Sorry. Uh, Ryan DS says Zelda is a hundred bucks Canadian after taxes. It's wild. I'm still gonna buy it, but inflation sucks. I've already adjusted to high prices. I gotta watch Cheerios rise from six bucks a box to nine in a matter of months. Jeez, everything has risen in price and interest rates keep climbing. I've already scaled back new game purchases. I have too many on the backlog, so I can hold off on new games for a while. My wife wants Zelda, so we will buy it. However, I don't have time to keep up with the AAA release schedules, so I just buy less games. Therefore, I probably spend less money. Game services look more appealing. Praise be Game Pass and PS Plus collection. Yeah, jeez, a hundred dollars Canadian. That's insane. I mean. Canadian dollars is is weaker, but still the with the translation that doesn't that's still way more than seventy bucks that's US. Lots of monies. Yeah, I don't. I could never justify that. Um, I would. I would just sail the Canadian pirate seas. I guess. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the maple syrup seas. <laughs> uh, Bedroth says, "I think yes, the price increased is justified." Oh, we have a different take. If you adjust the recommended retail price of Super Mario Brothers as a standalone card in 1985, it would be almost exactly $70 today. And it's not like Nintendo is raising the price of all their games to $70. I don't know if we have a verification on that. New games, anyway. Uh, Zelda is special and the whole world knows it. Weren't Horizon and God of War similarly priced? I don't think so. No. This is basically no, Nintendo's weren't. answer to those kinds of games. As far as what I'd personally pay for a game, so many reasons to say it depends. But for the sake of argument, let's say we're specifically talking about Tears of the Kingdom, I'd probably go as high as $85. Mm-hmm. That's my arbitrary answer. If I'm wrong on any of my assumptions, I will not, of course, be offended at being corrected on the show. Love the topic and love you guys. Oh, we love you too, Bedroth. But we're, I don't think they were $70. <laughs> were Horizon and God of War 
super expensive when they first no, came they were out? sixty bucks. No, I think they were sixty dollars okay. games. I mean, the indi- I think the industry is just now trying to move to the seventy dollars price point. But at least yeah. they went down over time, whereas the Nintendo ones, like well, you said, were right. not. Right. And, and obviously, Nintendo is only trying this seventy dollars move on Zelda because it's the other other games have come out at at the seventy dollars price point. Yeah, we don't know. I don't though. think I they mean, would be the first ones to try. We, it. We'll see what the new Pikmin comes out at. They haven't announced yeah. any pricing for that. This is the only game that they've released pricing for that has not been released yet. So we don't know what the other games are going to be priced at when they do come out. So I guess we'll see. Um, when they make a Mario Odyssey 2, is it going to be $70? Probably. Yeah. Oh, at this point, yes. I mean, if a lot of people buy Breath of the Wild 2 at 70 bucks, then they'll say, oh, that's a fine price. Everything goes up to 70 bucks. Yeah. And then other companies see that and go, oh, Nintendo's justifying 70 bucks. We can justify 70 bucks. And then the whole market just goes up. Um, if you would, I mean, if you adjust for in- inflation with Super Mario Brothers to 70 Yes, but then again, the economy was much different in the 80s, and the economy was on an upturn. Much more people had expendable cash. Right. Um, plus, it was much more of a niche market. They were selling less units, way less units of Super Mario Brothers than there are the multi-millions of units that are sold for each game nowadays. Yeah, so yeah profit that's true of the Super Nintendo games, too, yeah. So there's reasons for and against that as well. Um but does it make it a good idea? And that's kind of—I think—that's kind of what we're trying yeah. to answer. Yeah, I don't I think know. The results will speak for themselves. We'll see how it's, it's of the kind wild of what does. We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's just going to sell anyway because people are going to be like, "Well, I can't get it any other way." I don't think Nintendo will have a have trouble selling Zelda. No. at seventy dollars, and that's the problem. But I'm talking about the market as a whole. But, but nobody wins, right? I mean, well, Nintendo wins. Nintendo but gamers wins. don't win. <laughs> but at will all. Pikmin do as well if it's at seventy? I bet not. It, I mean, yeah, yeah. Pikmin isn't anywhere near as not, big an IP as, as as Zelda. You can so. do it with Zelda. You can do it with Mario. You could probably do it with Kirby and Metroid. But. I'll be surprised if Pikmin goes for seventy. Yeah, I mean that's it's unlikely in my opinion. But we can talk about that in a future episode if and when they do announce when, the pricing. When they for announce it. pricing for Pikmin, and that ends <laughs> this segment of we are grumpy old gamers. Yeah, <laughs> which tends to be a lot of these episodes. But uh, <laughs> no, but I, I like your making new consoles topic. So we should probably visit that next month. Yeah, I'm, I'm very into that stuff. So that would be a cool topic to yeah, do. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I'd like to thank Jason Letourneau for our theme song as we wrap up the show, and also thank all of our patrons who have stuck with me all this time at our tourist level. We've got Cameron Childs and the Phantomire, our VG Emissary tier, Chris Myers, Chris Murray, Gen 11, Keyglyph, Kyle Kroll, the Dyad, the Last Recon, and Thomas Hunt, our audio attache members, Cam Worma, Carlito, and Scott McElhone, and our special agent tier, Ryan Steele. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we hope those of you who are listening to this show for the first time have enjoyed it. Um, we're always open to suggestions if you guys have new topics that you'd like to uh, see us address you can always email us and or DM me on Discord or even put it in the Discord itself um, if you're not on Discord let me know you can even email me at the VGEmbassy at gmail.com and we will send you a uh, invite to the Discord or just go to the VGEmbassy.com website and you can get a invitation to Discord just by clicking on the widget on the side of the page there um, let us know what you think of the show. And uh, we're, like I said, we're always open to new suggestions and stuff. We will see you next month for another episode of Embassy Exclusive. In the meantime, we'll have more VG Embassy video game music episodes coming out as well. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. <laughs>